Hello, my rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, The Ezra Levant Show. Uh, today I talk about some unanswered questions about Jody Wilson-Raybould, the justice minister fired by Justin Trudeau for, you know, upholding the law. And, and there's some crazy stuff about David Lametti. That's the new justice minister who just happens to be a Montreal liberal from the very constituency where SNC-Lavalin is headquartered. And I'll, I'll give it away a little bit, but you should listen to the whole thing. Um, SNC-Lavalin personally lobbied him too. Did you know that? I'll, I'll let you watch the rest for yourself. If you like the podcast, you, you, I think you should watch the show on TV because I show documents and I show videos and, and I'm not, yeah, you can get a simulacrum of it audio only, but you should really watch it. Uh, to watch that, you need to be a subscriber to our premium content that's what we call our Fancy Pants shows. I have one. Sheila Gunn-Reed has one. David Menzies has one. They're, they're the fancy shows. Subscribers get access to those. And um, you got to pay, but it's not that bad. You know, it's eight bucks a month. And if you subscribe to the whole year, you actually get two months free. So that's cheap. And uh, if you type in podcast as a coupon code, you get another 10% off. So by the time we're done, we're almost paying you to listen and watch. Uh, just go to the rebel.media slash shows to become a member. And by the way, while you're there, why don't you do a five-star review on this podcast, if you think it's worth five stars. Um, you can try and jam in a sixth star that you'll be there for a while, uh, but you can try. That's a good way to support the Rebel without spending a dime. All right, without further ado, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Tonight, lots of unanswered questions about the corrupt Quebec engineering firm for whom Justin Trudeau tried to get criminal charges dropped. It's February 11th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. It was a huge front page story in the Globe and Mail last week. It would have been big news any day, but given how submissive the media party has been towards the Trudeau government lately and how much groveling they've done for a slice of Trudeau's $595 million media bailout, you gotta admit, this was an impressive bombshell. In short, SNC-Lavalin, a huge engineering company headquartered in downtown Montreal, well, they paid at least $48 million in bribes to secure engineering contracts in Libya a few years ago. Yeah, I know, like me, you're totally shocked. Uh, an establishment corporation in Quebec that's involved with corruption. I won't hear of it. Yeah, neither will anyone else, I guess. I don't know if you remember, but when McLean's magazine dared to talk about Quebec's culture of corruption, do you remember the House of Commons unanimously voted to condemn the magazine, as in the Tories joined in on that condemnation too. Anyways, the truth of that came out, and so the RCMP has charged SNC-Lavalin with defrauding various Libyan organizations of 130 million bucks. So this is pretty big time. This is international class corruption. This wasn't just some rogue employee, you know, stealing from the company Christmas party fund. This was a major operation, organized crime style. So they're being prosecuted in Canada for being corrupt. That's what the law says. Um, just like Bombardier, another favorite Quebec company, which has been successfully prosecuted around the world 
for their corruption, by the way. I should point out that SNC's uh, Lavalin's market capitalization, you know what that is, right? That's the amount of value of all the company's shares together on the stock market. So SNC's Lavalin's market capitalization is more than $6 billion. So they can handle paying a fine. They just don't want to. And they think they can fast talk their way out of it. I mean, why do you think they give so much money to the Liberal Party? Including, I know you'll be shocked by this, illegal donations here in Canada, not in Libya. They obviously haven't quite wrapped their head around the fact that they are in Canada and you can't just wriggle out of the law because you're connected to powerful people. Just a quick point on that share price. Here, here's the company's stock market valuation over the past five years. Now, I don't know if you can see it, but the company's shares were worth about $42 the day of the last election in late 2015. It's pretty much right in the middle of the graph there. And then, bam, as soon as the liberals took power, look at that. Again, we're right in the middle of the graph there. You can see the bottom, uh, 2016, wham. Uh, within half a year, the stocks were trading at 55 bucks. Do you really think that the company was worth literally 30% more billions of dollars in just six months? Were the engineers 30% smarter? Did they suddenly get 30% more work done? Or do you think it's because everyone knew SNC-Lavalin is a liberal crony? And everyone just naturally assumed, after the liberals won, that they would have all their legal problems magically swept away by their fellow liberal Montrealer, Justin Trudeau and his Montreal principal secretary, Gerald Butts. That's what was going on in that stock price. Here's the same stock price chart, but instead of showing the past five years, this is the past six months. Do you see that huge drop in the stock price about a third of the way into the graph? That was back in October. I don't know if you can see that in the graph, it's pretty small numbers. <clears throat> That's when Canadian prosecutors announced that they were not going to cut a deal with SNC-Lavalin. According to the Globe and Mail, that's when Trudeau decided he was going to fire his Justice Minister, Jody Wilson-Raybould, who wouldn't bend the knee to him and his Quebec friends. So that's on, on about a third of the way in there. And look at the right-hand side. You see that absolute cliff in the last week. Well, you know what that's about. That's this whole scandal in the newspaper. So there's a lot that goes on in a company, and I'm sure the stock price has to do with a lot of things. But I think it's also fair to point out that, like Bombardier, SNC-Lavalin is not a normal company. It's a crony capitalist company. It reminds me a little bit of Gazprom in Russia. Gazprom is owned 51% by Vladimir Putin's authoritarian regime. So, sure, Gazprom is a huge company, and it actually does valuable things. As you can tell by the name, it's into natural gas, for example. But it's also a very political company. It does political favors for Vladimir Putin, and he does them favors in return. Uh, over there, the corruption is pretty much normalized. But I think in some ways they're more honest about it. Putin just owns 51% of the company, so he's not even pretending it's independent and vice versa. I think that's the problem for Bombardier and SNC-Lavalin. They pretend to be normal, independent, private companies, but really they're just liberal lobbying machines and they live or die based on their government connections to the liberals, maybe they should stop pretending otherwise like Gazprom. It's funny, this big Globe expose, and congratulations again to the Globe reporters, there were three of them, uh, who did a great job. Got to say it when, when it happens because it's so rare. But I should tell you that just a few months back, like December, 
The Globe was in full PR mode for SNC-Lavalin and was going to bat for them to get them off the hook. Did you know that? The Globe Mail was trying to get uh, SNC-Lavalin out of prosecution. Here's a glowing cover story on the Globe and Mail's prestigious Report on Business magazine. Now that headline is Bruce Almighty. That's Neil Bruce, SNC-Lavalin's CEO, the one who's been doing so much lobbying. And let me read, I don't know if you can see the small print there. SNC-Lavalin went from scandal-ridden to world-class. Hey guys, it's world-class. Let me, let me read a line from the story. DPA is uh, uh, the, um, uh, the, the deal where they wouldn't be prosecuted. That's what DPA stands for. Let me quote. The missing DPA enraged Bruce. He had been confident that an agreement protecting the company from a criminal trial was in the bag, all the more so since the federal government had introduced legislation to allow such agreements just a few months earlier. So he was enraged that he didn't get the deal from the liberals. He was enraged. That's their word. Now, SNC-Lavalin was so pleased with this Globe and Mail propaganda, this cover story, that they uploaded the entire Globe and Mail story to their own SNC-Lavalin website. Just last month, just December. The, the entire corporate establishment in Canada was in on this, including the Globe and Mail. I, I'm frankly surprised that the Globe let Bob Fife and Steve Chase and the other reporter take a run at their customer. It's amazing. So, so where are we now? Well, Jody Wilson-Raybould, the Justice Minister, shuffled out of her position uh, in a recent cabinet shuffle. She is now hidden away in Veterans Affairs, a portfolio that is clearly a demotion, and to which she has no connection at all. She doesn't have any connection to veterans. But at least she can't stop Trudeau and Butts from helping their Montreal friends anymore, can they? And this guy, this amazing guy, David Lametti, is the new Justice Minister, and like you, I am just shocked I am shocked that he's from Quebec. He's from Montreal. In fact, he is literally from the constituency, La Salle-Emard, where SNC-Lavalin is headquartered. Who would have thunk it? What are the odds? One in 338, if you're asking. Well, Lametti went on CTV over the weekend, and it was just gorgeous. Take a listen to this. How can you say with any degree of certainty that there was no pressure put on her if you don't know? Who told you there was no pressure? The, the Prime Minister has said publicly, and I'm, and I'm, basing, uh, I'm basing, the Prime Minister said that, there, that, uh, that the allegations contained in the Globe and Mail article were false. Uh, the Prime Minister has said that he did not direct uh, my predecessor, so I'm basing, it to, I'm basing it on what he has said publicly. Okay, but you're, you're, I justice, every, you're, I you're a Justice Minister. Is, it, is that, when he said he didn't direct, is he skating using legal language around the idea that there's pressure, that there's room. He may have pressured her in other ways, the Prime Minister's office. Are you 100% confident that there was no pressure in any way, shape, or form? I can't, look, I can't speak to a relationship uh, that I wasn't privy to. Uh, that's clear. But what I, can, what I can repeat to you and to Canadians is what the Prime Minister has said. Oh, so he, he can't speak to you. He, he actually hasn't spoken with Jody Wilson-Raybould, his, his predecessor. He hasn't spoken with the Prime Minister, it sounds like. Like you and me, he just watched Trudeau's evasive answer on TV the other day, and that's good enough investigating for him. He's not that curious. Best not to be curious. I want you to watch that evasion of Trudeau again. This is what he said the day after the globe broke. I want, I want you to see the kind of watchdog we have on the file as our Justice Minister, Canada's top legal officer. Some watchdog, more like a, an SNC-Lavalin lapdog. Watch this. 
The allegations in the Globe story this morning are false. Uh, neither the current nor the previous Attorney General uh, was ever directed by me or by anyone in my office uh, to uh, take a, a decision uh, in this matter. The allegations reported in the story are false. Uh, at no time did I or uh, my office uh, direct uh, the current or previous Attorney General uh, to make uh, any particular decision in this matter. But not necessarily direct, Prime Minister. Was there any sort of influence whatsoever? Yeah. As I've said, at no time did we uh, direct the Attorney General, uh, current or previous, uh, to uh, take any decision whatsoever in this matter. So when David Lynette says that Trudeau denies the Globe Mail story, well, well he didn't, did he? Because Trudeau said he just didn't direct Jody Wilson-Raybould to take a particular decision. That's a very Clintonian answer, parsing the words just so. Remember what Clinton said? Depends what your meaning of the word is, is. What the Globe said in their lengthy front page story, citing sources both from the Justice Department and SNC-Lavalin itself, was that Jody Wilson-Raybould was pressured which we knew just by skimming the list of endless lobbying meetings that Neil Bruce and SNC-Lavalin had with every senior official in the government, including more than a dozen meetings with Trudeau's own office. But this sleeping lifeguard of a justice minister says, yeah, no, there's nothing here even worth investigating. I mean, I saw the boss on TV and he says everything's fine and I wouldn't want to enrage the head of SNC-Lavalin. And look at this. He's not investigating. He's not apologizing. He couldn't even be bothered to pick up the phone and talk to anyone involved. He watched the news just like you and me. Good enough for him. Look at this. Look at this. Attorney General Lametti says SNC-Lavalin settlement still possible. Well, let me read a little bit. New Federal Attorney General David Lametti says it is still possible. He could issue a directive to the prosecution service to settle corruption charges against SNC-Lavalin group out of court. There is a specific set of rules that would allow the Attorney General to direct a public process in a transparent process through the Canada Gazette, he told CTV's question period on Sunday. That remains a possibility, but I'm not going to comment on the possibility of that now because the case is before the courts. So, so he's saying he might still do it. Yeah, how do you think he got the job? The Liberals are just going to brazen this one out. Now, the opposition forces, the parties joined forces, and they demanded a probe, <clears throat> not a huge independent multi-million dollar inquiry like, say, Robert Mueller has been doing against Donald Trump for the past two years about Russia collusion. With tens of millions of dollars in budgets, the power to subpoena and prosecute anyone who gets in his way. No, the opposition in Canada just wants a teeny tiny baby inquiry. It's in like half an hour. Maybe, hey, Jody Wilson-Raybould, maybe you can come by Parliament for half an hour to answer some questions, not even under oath. Maybe ask some of the other people who were lobbied. No powers to prosecute. Just maybe, you know, extended question period, not even extended. Well, David Lamenti shut that down in a hurry. Or Justin Trudeau or Gerald Butts, no big difference. What, did you think the chief legal officer of the land was going to enforce the law or something? This, uh, this wound is, I think it's pretty much cauterized already. I mean, Jody Wilson-Raybould, because she's a lawyer, has to follow some rules of confidentiality. They call it solicitor-client privilege. It's like what you tell a priest or a doctor. It's a secret. Justin Trudeau could waive that confidentiality, but, but why would he? Why would he? Because the Globe and Mail wants him to? Stuff it. 
Listen, that's the price you pay to be a cabinet minister in Justin Trudeau's cabinet. You have to do what the Montreal Mafia says. And by mafia, I don't mean, I don't mean the actual Cosa Nostra. I mean Trudeau and Butts. Jody Wilson-Raybould is an Aboriginal woman from BC. She's not a made man. She's not part of that elite McGill world. David Lametti absolutely is. He's fine. He's a, he's a professor there. He's a professor at McGill. He's fine making a pro- compromise with Trudeau and Butts. I mean, he's a former law professor. Being justice minister is the most important thing in the world to him, even more than becoming a judge because he gets to appoint all the judges. Imagine how popular he suddenly is with his friends. All of his lawyer friends, all of his professor friends, all sucking up to him now to get appointed as judges or promoted as judges. He's a big shot now. He's a powerful Montrealer now. And all he has to do is turn a blind eye to this one little mess. And after all, Trudeau denied it on TV and who amongst us would ever challenge Justin Trudeau's word? Well, to my surprise, uh, this guy, Wayne Long, Uh, New Brunswick Liberal MP, he put out this statement today. Let me quote a little bit of it. As politicians, we make the laws, but we do not directly apply them to the citizenry. How the law treats individuals or corporations in our society is not and should never be incumbent upon the political pressure they can exert upon politicians. I believe that a full and transparent investigation is necessary to ensure that my constituents and all Canadians can be confident in veracity of those answers. That's why I support the opposition's motion to launch an investigation of the allegations of the Standing Committee on Justice and Human Rights. <laughs> By the way, I went to Wayne Long's uh, website today and it's offline. I-, I wonder who pushed that button. I wonder how long, I mean, as I say this, he's still a liberal MP. Um, maybe by the time this gets to air in an hour or so, uh, he'll be sacked. Who knows? But look, he's a dead-ender. He'll never be put in cabinet. He's already criticized Trudeau at least two times. He stood up for the Energy East pipeline, give him credit for that. And he spoke out against Bill Morneau's tax favoritism. So I think this fellow knows he has no future in the Liberal Party. He, he might not even be allowed to run again. Maybe they've already told him that. And, and, and look at this. Here's another, a little bit more timid. This is from a parliamentary secretary to Trudeau, that kooky MP, Selena Cesar Chavanes. She tweeted... As someone on the inside, oh, sure, you're on the inside, who knows Pugless, that's the Twitter handle for Jody Wilson-Raybould. I can tell you that she is fierce, smart, and unapologetic. When women speak up and out, they are always going to be labeled. Go ahead, label away. We are not going anywhere. I am with her. Stand up. I see you. Okay. All right. That's, that's weird. Because she's not actually doing anything. I mean, she's already been demoted, though. Did you know she used to be Trudeau's own personal uh, parliamentary secretary? Uh, she was shuffled out. She has a minor, obscure position. I, I guess she knows her hopes are dashed, too. I mean, she lacks the courage to actually do anything or say anything clearly or call for a solution like Wayne Long. Uh, really, she's only good for a tweet now and then. Um, I think she wants to still stay on as parliamentary secretary. She likes the extra salary and the extra perks and the extra travel and the extra staff that come with that gig. Who knows? Who knows if Justin Trudeau will abide that such insubordination? I wonder. I think they're going to sack Wayne Long because he's a you know, white guy from New Brunswick. Cesar Chavannes is a 2-4 in the, uh, as in she's a visible minority and a woman. And we know that Justin Trudeau appoints based on quotas. It'll be tougher for her, him to sack a woman of color, but he just did it to the justice minister. Look, I think Trudeau's going to wake this one out. 
Here's an article in the Toronto Star left-wing paper that's just starting to blame Jody Willison-Rabel. The, the, the Toronto Star's Chantal Bear wrote this and says that Jody Wilson-Raybould is, quote, being passive-aggressive. And one could not but ask why she has not resigned on principle from Trudeau's cabinet rather than accept a lesser role. Hmm. I'm sure it's just a coincidence, though, that Chantal Bear from Montreal uh, has been a paid scholar with the, wait for it, the Trudeau Foundation. Did you know this journalist writing every day? on the take from the Trudeau Foundation. Uh, now, I've got a few questions, though. i got a few questions for other people besides Jody Wilson-Raybould. Since Trudeau is stammering his lawyerly non-denial and David Lametti has gone into full Schultz mode. Remember Hogan's Heroes? Remember this? What is he doing in the uniform, General Hogan, please? Oh, you went too far. I must report this. It would be worth my life if I do not report this. It's only until tomorrow, and he's going to take it off again. Uh, After he steals the tank. Oh? From the Panzer Division. Oh? He brings it here into the barrack. Oh, I see nothing. I was not here. I did not even get up this morning. <laughs> That's David Lamatty, I think. Well, here's a small suggestion. If, if Trudeau and his Sergeant Schultz, David Lametti, are silent, and they're keeping Jody Wilson-Raybould gagged, I don't know, maybe we could get on the record a comment from one of the dozens of other senior liberals who were lobbied by the enraged head of SNC-Lavalin over the past year or so. I showed you some of the names before from the lobbyist registry. Weird names. I think it's really weird. For example, the Canadian ambassador to the United States, David McNaughton, was repeatedly lobbied, as you can see here, just, for example, twice so in a period of just three weeks. Um, boy, who knows? He, who knew he had the time? I thought he was busy with NAFTA. No, he made time. Uh, but why, 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 why? What did SNC-Levelin SNC say to him? And the fact that there was a follow-up meeting, I mean, you have meetings and then a the follow-up meeting, that surely implies that McNaughton had promised to make some inquiry or pass on some pressure and was reporting back to his boss? That's my guess. Maybe he should tell us? I mean, the ambassador? Or what did uh, SNC-Lavalin say to Bill Morneau? Do you see that there on, on September 18th? Morneau himself was in the meeting with his chief of staff. That's pretty sure. So what did Morneau say in reply? Because Ben Chin had several meetings, if I recall. That's his chief of staff. So what did, did Morneau talk to Wilson Raybould, one cabinet minister to another. Lots of cabinet ministers were lobbied. For example, Jim Carr, the former energy minister, the international trade minister. Um, he had his whole team there, whole team, looks like. Same with Francois-Philippe Champagne, the fellow Quebecer who is now the infrastructure minister. Plenty of parliamentary secretaries had meetings too. Uh, the execrable Omar Al-Gabra, for example. And I'm not even going to get into the chiefs of staff or chiefs of policy for minister, who probably did the real heavy lifting here for their elected bosses. Uh, and, I, and I came across this one from 18 months ago. Well, would you look at this? SNC-Lavalin had a private lobbying meeting with David Lametti himself, the new justice minister. They met with him in private to lobby him, and now he's saying he won't investigate them? 
Really? Now he's saying he'll take Trudeau's TV word for it. Everything's fine. He won't recuse himself. He won't bring an outside counsel. Everything's fine, people. Yeah. The Lebranos are back. I miss Stephen Harper. Stay with us for more. Hijab uh, is not something that women should should be wearing um, because it's uh, it does have at some point some uh, significance about the oppression of the women and and the fact that they have to cover their self, themselves and for me it's it's um, well it's it's not in my values. Well, that is Isabel Charest, Quebec's minister for the status of women, standing next to François Legault, the premier of Quebec. They're with the coalition Avenir Quebec, a new party that wasn't even around a decade ago that whooped the liberals. And as part of their campaign platform, not only did they call for a reduction in immigration to Quebec, a modest reduction of 20 percent, but a reduction at all. And look at that. The minister for women's rights is actually talking about women's rights. Well, joining us now via Skype to talk about this is a woman who's usually right, and she's from <laughs> Quebec, our friend Barbara Kay. Hey, Barbara, how you doing? I'm fine, Ezra. How are you? I am fine, and I should tell you, I, I watched that little clip there, and I read the newspaper coverage in the Quebec media, and I know she walked it back very slightly. She just, I, uh, if I'm not mistaken, she said, well, maybe her phrasing wasn't perfect, but the idea that a a woman would say the hijab, and she was specifically talking about the hijab, not the full face obscuring the cap, offends her belief in freedom. And she wasn't immediately devoured by all the mean girls on Twitter and in the CBC and social media. Tells me that Quebec is a little bit more grown up about these conversations than the rest of the country. Well, it certainly tells you that uh, Quebec is much less politically correct than uh, the, you know, the rest of Canada knows what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say, but Quebec women didn't get the message. <laughs> they, they don't, they have very, Quebec is an extremely feminist province. I don't know if anybody noticed, but uh, they had lots of women politicians long before it was very common in the rest of Canada. Uh, they they teach feminism. I mean, they, they've always had a very strong, and that's because uh, of the reaction against the Catholic Church so many years ago in the Quiet Revolution. Uh, the Catholic Church was not seen as very friendly to women, and uh, the response when the when Quebec became far more secular or very secular uh, was to renounce a lot of the attitudes that came with. Uh, a very strong clergy, clerical uh, domination of society. So they were they were really ahead of the curve on feminism and and not shy at all about uh, speaking their minds regarding symbols that they see as oppressive, which many, many Canadians, many people in the West also see it as oppressive to women, but they don't dare open their mouth about it. I agree with um, most of what you said there, but I would point out in contrast, that Ontario, which certainly regards itself as just as woke. Uh, I mean, Quebec had Pauline Marois, the female pr uh, premier. Well, Ontario had Kathleen Wynne, who wasn't just feminist. She was a lesbian activist. 
and you know, you could say she went just as far. She certainly despises the Catholic Church uh, just as much as anyone in Quebec. But look at this picture of her sitting at the back of a mosque wearing a hijab. She was going in some sort of solidarity event, and, and this proud feminist was sitting at the back of a mosque because she was unclean, she was haram, so she would allow herself to be humiliated. And so I guess what I'm saying is that feminism you're talking about, uh, the anti-Catholicism you're talking about, I believe that's just as strong in other parts of the country, but that feminism immediately collapses into Islamophilia in other parts. How mm -hmm. come it hasn't done so in Quebec? I don't think that Quebecers uh, got the, they haven't got the total message because they're, they're kind of segregated from a lot of the media and a lot of the, uh, even the intellectual traditions of uh, the universities in uh, the rest of the world or the rest of, of the West. Uh, they kind of go their own way. They're, they're never big on multiculturalism. Uh, this intersectionality thing, just I don't hear about it at all here. It's just not a thing. Um, so they have their own style of thinking. And don't forget, too, that Quebec intellectuals are much more influenced by uh, intellectuals in France than they are uh, intellectuals from Berkeley, say. Mm -hmm. So uh, th there are different traditions here. And uh, multiculturalism was never a big deal here or never something to be sought after. Uh, so... That accounts for some of it. Let me throw another theory at you, and then I want to go to an opinion poll, Barbara. I have in front of me uh, a very important Angus Reid poll from just two months ago about Quebec. So I'll get to that in a moment. But can I put a counter theory to you? I, again, I, I don't disagree with what you've said, but I put it to you that Quebec, depending on your definitions, can argue it can arguably be called the first ethnic nationalist. I won't say alt-right, but an ethno-nationalism. The, que the Quebecois, the Sovereignty Association, the Pure Land Quebecers, we must keep our culture, our language amongst this sea of uh, others. I put it to you that for centuries, and certainly since the Parti Quebecois and the Bloc Quebecois came along, Quebecers have been told it's okay to celebrate your nationalism. It's okay to celebrate your history, your culture, your language, and even if they don't practice it, your religion. And so when hundreds of thousands of Muslim migrants come in, um, they don't immediately say, well, we, we're just an empty slate, we're just an empty hotel room in the zip code, and we'll, we'll immediately roll with whatever, you know, multi-culti, holiday of the week it is, they're saying, no, we actually are proud Quebecers. I think there's an ethnic pride in Quebec that is much stronger than anywhere else in the country, and it is accepted by the media class as somehow being not racist, whereas anyone else who would show any ethnic pride is immediately deemed racist. So that's my theory. What do you make of that? Well, I, no, there's no question about it. They, they are uh, quite comfortable with their uh, own heritage, their own, their own uh, ethnic identity, they don't have white guilt. They don't, uh, uh, they don't, they don't hate America, and they don't hate themselves. They, they, uh, as I say, they're they're walking to a beat of a different drum. And and don't forget that out, outside of Montreal, um, outside of Montreal, Quebecers are the only. Uh, 
probably jurisdiction in the in the all of North America where you have an ethnically homogeneous group of people like six million people who are still not multicultural at all. Montreal is very much multicultural, but uh, the rest of Quebec is not. And they don't have that whole set. They, they're not they're not in the flow of progressivism or or what it means or intersectionality or any of that stuff. It means that's n that doesn't mean anything to them. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I find that very interesting. And I think the most interesting part of it is watching how Justin Trudeau, who himself is technically from Montreal, although I, I don't think he in his bones as a Quebecer, I think he's sort of a global citizen, mm -hmm. uh, and he probably is more at home in Ontario, frankly, or at least he's, he's in, the, in the cosmopolitan parts of Montreal. It, yeah. It's funny to me how he can abide um, these things in his home province, but when he's in Ottawa, he speaks with a great fury on behalf of hijabs and Islam and, and all these things. I find it interesting. Let's go to the poll. I mentioned a poll from Angus Reid, and this, this is very telling. Angus Reid did a survey on the Coalition Avenue Quebec's uh, proposal to ban religious symbols from public sector workers. So this is not a ban of hijabs or niqabs on the street, as for example, France has. They ban the full face obscuring niqab anywhere. So this is just for people, uh, you know, a nurse in a hospital or someone at the motor vehicles. And according to this survey, and we'll put it up here on the screen, depending on the particular religi religious object, let me just read the exact question. Please indicate whether you think public employees be, um, should be allowed to wear each of these religious symbols while on the job. Uh, so this is all respondents, um, including Quebec residents. So this is nationwide here. And I'll get to the Quebec numbers a bit later. 77% of Canadians want the burqa band. 75% want the niqab band, and I put it to you that there's really li little difference. So this is extremely popular, not just in Quebec, but across the country. And there's one more chart I'll, I'll ask you, I'll show you. And this is just of Quebecers now, and then I'll, I'll bring you right back in, Barbara. The new government of Quebec has promised to ban public employees in positions of authority from wearing religious symbols at work. Do you support or oppose this ban? Now this, Barbara, is just asked of Quebecers. 43% strongly support the ban. Another 23% support it somewhat. So that's mm -hmm. a total of 66% as opposed to just 16% um, who oppose it and 12% who oppose it strongly. So it's two to one support uh, and it's a very strong support in Quebec. So it's a lot of numbers I was throwing at you. But I guess mm -hmm. the takeaway here is not only is this extremely popular in Quebec, but this would be popular in every single province in the country. Well, I've, I, I know that. I mean, I, I know that, uh, for example, the niqab, face cover, has always been strongly opposed throughout Canada. Uh, but, you know, the media... Uh, disregard that they they uh, they they are strongly for it or not for it but they're strongly for the right uh, to wear it I as far as I know I'm one of the very few journalists that has come out always for years strongly against the niqab in public service I think it's appalling uh, that people should be allowed to cover their faces in in the public service uh, since you don't have any choice with whom you deal in the public service so um, I think that's very bad I 
I am sympathetic to women who wear the hijab that want to be able to wear it in their daily life. I get that. I have no problem with it, seeing it or interacting with women wearing it. it, it it's meaningless to me. But I do understand that in, in places of authority, um, judges say, uh, doctors, I don't know. I don't know who they considered. There's a case to be made. I, I, I don't say I'm totally on the side of of those who think it shouldn't ever be in the public service. I don't think wearing a little kippah really, uh, somebody who who is um, a school teacher or a, um, a, a doctor, I don't see that how that's harmful. I can see how judges, uh, that would be something in law courts. Yeah. I can see where that could be intimidating uh, to somebody who's from another, you know, they might believe, even though the judge might be totally impartial, but they they might have feelings about that and they shouldn't have to worry about such feelings. So, you know, a bit of a mixed bag there. Yeah. Uh, well, here's what's interesting to me. I, it is so clear to me that the 2019 federal election, obviously we're less than a year away from that, um, open borders immigration is going to be a major campaign issue. I don't think Trudeau and Amin Hassan wanted it to be, but I think it is becoming that way, partly because of the open border between Quebec and New York. Mm -hmm partly because of the homeless crisis this has caused in Ontario. Um, the success of the Quebec party that we talked about, I think is part of this. And I think that the Liberals are going full speed ahead. They really are replicating what Angela Merkel did. Um, they're calling for 340,000 migrants next year, 40% of whom will not be economic class immigrants. So I think it's gonna be an issue. I know from another Angus Reid poll that only about 5% of Canadians support increasing immigration that high. Only 5%, Barbara. So I think you, you're having this extreme immigration agenda that is disproportionately Muslim. It's just a fact. And at the same time, you're demonizing critics as Islamophobic, bigoted, racist. They're even demonizing Doug Ford's provincial cabinet ministers as un-Canadian for not going along with this. I think we're in for a heck of a fight, and uh, I just don't know if Quebec is going to have a, a, a different narrative than the rest of us. Maybe Trudeau's not going to criticize anyone en français, but in English, he's going to call us all bigots. How do you think that's going to go down? I, you know, I'm not, I, I try not to make too many predictions because I, I hate having to eat my words. I think, I think immigration is a big issue for a lot of people. Uh, the problem for Conservative Party is that the Liberals are always going to paint any criticism of immigration as you're a racist. Like I mean, it's just it, it's it's very hard to avoid that um, accusation, and it's very frustrating to anybody. I know myself when I write uh, about immigration, I have to be so careful uh, because for me, it's it's about the numbers. We just don't have the infrastructure, and we don't have the capacity. I don't even think we have the I don't think we know what our job needs are even. And of course, a lot of those immigrants coming uh, are the ones that are working, but a whole lot of others are not. They're the, the you know, the grandparents and the sisters and the brothers and the children. So it's, it's a tremendous, uh, it's a tremendous burden on the system. And, um, uh, and there's no time for the generations to catch up and, and relieve the burden because uh, when the next generation comes and, and they're all integrated, then there's another wave of, of immigration. So uh, you have to keep expanding services, but they can never keep up with the rate 
uh, you know, the hospitals are overcrowded, but you can't keep building hospitals at that pace. So uh, it is a problem, and the Conservatives are going to have a serious problem countering this narrative about Islamophobia, racism. Uh, it's 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 just a mantra. I don't know how it's going to. Uh, I think I think they have to take the bull by the horns. I think they have to sort of punch back and say, "Stop calling us racist. That's wrong." You know, and just. Uh, take the offensive on that. Well, I mean, the success of Francois Legault and the, the CAC party in Quebec shows it's possible uh, to yeah. win. On and, and they're not saying stop immigration. They're not saying ban Muslims. They're saying, folks, slow down a bit here. Let's reduce yeah. it by 20% and let's keep this uh, religious symbol out of the public sector. I think that's an eminently reasonable point of view, and it won. I, yeah, I, I agree with you, Ezra. And the, the one thing that might happen is that uh, Maxime Bernier's party, although it's very tiny and very just uh, nascent. If if he starts getting a lot of support from people, and if the conservatives see that really uh, there's a significant number of votes that are going to him because he's honest about immigration, uh, it may encourage them to uh, take back that you know to to appropriate his message a little more in order to keep those votes on side and i'd be perfectly happy for that to happen because i'd like to see the you know the conservatives uh gain traction uh but yeah they, they really have to go on offense here i think yeah, these issues yeah. are linked i think done, yeah i think mass migration without uh vetting for cultural fit and without absorption and the hijab i really think they're linked you know barbara let me end with a little anecdote you know the last conversation I had with Andrew Shear. He doesn't talk to the rebel anymore. You know the last conversation we ever had was, he was on this very show, and I asked him about immigration, and he did not like my questions. I put the same question to him five times, and he evaded it five times. And because he wasn't on Skype, he couldn't just push the off button. He was literally sitting next to me here, yeah. and I said. And I, and I asked him, do you have any, you know, putting aside security concerns, which is something very acute, do you have any proposal for a cultural fit? He wouldn't answer it. Andrew Scheer will not answer two questions about immigration. The absolute number of immigrants, he, note he has never criticized Trudeau or Hassan for their huge numbers. He has never said he's opposed to increasing numbers. And he won't talk about the quantity, he won't talk about the quality either. He will not talk about cultural fit. The, the most I've seen him say is we need to have better processing and an orderly flow. I think that he has yet to cross that Rubicon you talk about. He recently had an epiphany on global warming and he no longer says he wants to follow the UN. He's still being a me too mini-me of Trudeau on immigration. And I think you're right. I think Maxime Bernier might eat his lunch on that. Last word to you, Barbara. Well, I, I'm just uh, looking forward to the campaign coming up because I think it is going to be very interesting. And I do think migration, uh, and this, by the way, this global pact on migration, which I think is very insidious, uh, you know, I, I hope these things do come up for debate because uh, we might see something energetic happen uh, if we can get some movement on the part of the conservatives to uh, to own that issue a little bit more. I'd love to see that happen. Yeah. Uh, and I do think Quebec may be showing us the way. Uh, you know, Quebec's not always right, but when they are right, they're often very, to me, they seem very courageous because they'll they'll buck trends. They don't even know how courageous they are mm -hmm. uh, because they, they kind of uh, don't realize how, how politically correct the rest of us are. So. Yeah. 
Very interesting. Well, listen, I'm always grateful for your time. Time flies with you. I want yeah. to share one. Give me 30 seconds to share one more thing. You know, we had Yasmin Mohammed on the show the other day. Oh, she's uh, great. Yeah, she's great. She's a former Muslim who was forced to wear uh, face obscuring veils. Uh, actually, she was married to an, an Al Qaeda activist, if you can believe it. She mm -hmm. said to me, she's not for banning, she's not for telling women to take off the hijab because she's worried that doing so could sentence them to death. So she says she's, she supports any woman who would take the hijab off, but she would never pressure a woman to take it off because she doesn't know what violence that woman would face. I thought that was a terrifying thing to, to hear her say. And obviously it comes from someone who has lived inside that world and would be terrified that if I were free, I would be perhaps murdered Aksa Parvez style by a father or a brother. So I just want to leave that anecdote with you. It changed my thinking on that. That's why we need the government to ban it because a woman herself might not be in a position to stand up to the tyrants in her small, in her small world. Yeah, it's a possibility. All right, well, Barbara, thanks for talking with these very controversial subjects with me. You're one of my favorite people to talk with them because you're not afraid and I wish more people were like you. Thanks, Ezra. All right, there you have it. Thank Barbara Kay, one of our favorite people, National Post columnist. Stay with us. More Head on the Rebel. Hey, welcome back on my monologue Friday about Jagmeet Singh asking the elections watchdog to investigate slanderous ads targeting him. Robert writes, Singh has turned out to be a real dud for the NDP. Too bad. The right needs him to do well in the next election so that Junior doesn't eat their lunch again in the next election. Yeah, you know, I think that the media looked at Jagmeet Singh and thought, he's so handsome, he's such a sharp dresser, and he's got that beautiful, colorful turban. That's all our check boxes of what a progressive man looks like. And of course he had strong ties to the Sikh community who came out en masse. And that's just not enough. That's a good add-on to other stuff, but that's not enough in itself. And my observations of Jagmeet Singh are that he is, you know, he, he's not in the thick of the debate. I think it's probably because he's not an MP yet. Um, when I see him in, on interviews, he doesn't sound well briefed on things. and. You know, I know he's Sikh and everything, and I think that's fine, but I think he's obsessed with Sikh separatism. Like, he goes to rallies and stuff for it around the world even, and, and that's a project, but that's not the project of someone who wants to be the Prime Minister of Canada. I think it's a distraction for him. I don't know. What do you think about that? I, I, uh, I just, I don't think he's going to do well at all. I think for sure he's going to lose this by-election in Burnaby. I might eat my words on that, but I think it's going to come in maybe third. And uh, I think the NDP have a real question, do they want to go into an election with them? Because it, it was only the collapse of that uh, NDP vote that gave Trudeau his majority. Yeah, I share your worries on that. Betty writes, the similarities between Trudeau and Singh are striking. Neither one of them will answer legitimate questions that they're asked. Yes, there are some similarities. Both are clothes, horses, both um, are masters of the selfie, both are in love with the mirror. But uh, there's an extremely important difference. Trudeau is a household name. And there's a resonance there because his father was prime minister. And so a lot of boomers have fond, sentimental memories. They're probably not thinking of Justin Trude uh, Pierre Trudeau himself and as a prime minister. They're probably thinking of their own youth when Trudeau was prime minister. So if you're, if you're 65 years old now, 
and you think of Pierre Trudeau, well, maybe you were 25 years old. And so your fond memories of, oh, when I was a kid, when I was 25 and carefree. So they have that sentimentality, that nostalgia of their own youth. And the name Trudeau is a household name. Jack Singh is none of those things. So I think he's going to get his clock cleaned by Trudeau. And that's not good for those of us on the right. On my interview with Andrew Lawton about Trudeau's SNC-Lavalin scandal, Paul writes, One liberal actually does their job and they get fired. Let that sink in. The media party will pretend to do their job for a while and let it go. Yeah, it's interesting. I, mean, I showed you earlier today that uh, the Globe and Mail had this full-on propaganda piece for SNC-Lavalin. That was in December. So I am a little surprised and a little impressed that they let Rob, Bob Fife go on this. He seems to be still like a tiger on the issue. Evan Solomon was pretty good, too. You can see other media starting to play defense for the PMO, CBC, obviously. Toronto Star 2, Global, Global TV 2. I think they're going to brazen it out. I think they're going to tough it out. I just think that the only way you shame someone from office is if they feel shame. And I don't know if Trudeau feels shame, and if he does, I don't think he shows it. Yeah, I think they're going to ride it out. Well, that's it for today's show. Uh, it'll be interesting if Wayne Long survives, though. I'll tell you that. I don't think Trudeau, he's so thin-skinned, I don't think Trudeau can survive, can, uh, will keep Wayne Long in the caucus after he says he wants an investigation. I just don't think so. Yeah, we'll see. That's going to come to a head pretty quick. Until tomorrow, folks, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.